Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Welcome to the Future of XYZ. Today, we are going to be speaking about a very relevant topic, the future of controversy. Uh, this is not limited to America. This is a global topic uh, and uh, a historic one of our moment, but also going back. And welcoming uh, today our guest, Kami Akavan. Uh, nice to see you, Kami. And you as well. Thank you very much. Um, Kami is the executive director of the Dornsife Center for the Political Future at USC, based in Southern California. Uh, the mission of the Dornsife Center is to inspire and train future generations of civic leaders. Kami is also the C former CEO of ProCon.org, which if you don't know, it is one of the coolest and certainly one of the U.S.'s leading research platforms for everything controversial uh, in terms of topic research. Uh, he is a published expert, a public speaker, an educator, and uh, a graduate, both undergrad and of his master's from UCLA. So Kami, again, thanks for being with us. This is an exciting topic, a very relevant topic. And I guess we should start with if the future of controversy is going to be different than the current or past of controversy. And of course, controversy is quite negative by its very nature. Does it have to be or is there a way of the future being more positive? Uh, well, thanks for having me on the program, Lisa, a lot. Uh, the question you asked, I think, is it's profound because you're right. The association of controversy is clearly negative. Controversy means conflict. Controversy means disagreement. Controversy today not only means we disagree on an issue, but you might vilify the other person or feel threatened by the other person, uh, not just mentally, psychologically, but perhaps physically. Uh, and it's not a place that people feel comfortable in. And yet, we live in a democracy. And the point of a democracy is to have ideas conflict and clash so that we can compromise, cooperate, come up with the best possible pragmatic solutions to govern ourselves. So how to frame something that is inherently fraught uh, with something that has a positive association? It's something that I did and have been doing for probably 25 years. And I'll give a quick example. When I ran ProCon.org, like you said, we were the nation's largest source of pro and con information on controversial issues, about a hundred different issues. We had an audience of 20 to 25 million people a year. When we surveyed our audience and asked, how many of you changed your mind on an issue based on what you read at ProCon? And granted, our goal was not to change minds at all. But I thought if we got to 5%, you know, pizza party, this is amazing. Uh, we got to 36%. And I thought, wow, wow this, is, this is weird. Uh, let's try the survey again. We tried the survey again about a year and a half later. Got to 40% people who changed their mind on an issue based on what they read. I thought you can't do that with a weapon, and here we have done it with information. So to your point about the positivity of it, the positivity of, a, of controversy is that controversy necessarily involves presenting someone with a conflicting ideology. 
that conflicting ideology on the one hand is uncomfortable, it's perhaps offensive, and a lot of times that's all it is. Mm. However, when done right, like the way that ProCon does it, we're presented with respectful, compelling arguments on the other side that we may have never seen, right? So an example of that, there was a, a social science study that was done to show whether someone who is very left would become less liberal if they were exposed to the Twitter feed of someone who was conservative. So they took liberals and they gave them Tucker Carlson's feed. And guess what? They became way more liberal because they would read this kind of caricature of conservative viewpoints and think, this guy's an idiot, and I don't agree with that at all. In fact, I'm more sure I'm right. However, when the same partisans were exposed to really compelling arguments on the other side, then they softened a little bit and thought, oh, I haven't thought about it that way. Oh, that's good information. And suddenly, you're more receptive. The reason ProCon was successful to get to that 36% or 40% number, it's because of one big factor that you know so well, Lisa, it is the ability to listen. So when people came to the site, they might think, I am strongly against the death penalty. And all their anti-death penalty thoughts and arguments are presented there better than they could ever make them, right? Better sources, stated in a better way, shorter, just it has more punch. They're just better arguments. So they feel like that's it. That's better than I could ever say it. But then what's right there on the other side of the page is equally powerful arguments on the other side. So once they feel heard, then they will listen to the other side. But if that, that did not happen, they would never, ever, ever consider listening to the other side in a, in a respectful, intelligent way. So to me, that's what the, the future of controversy, to put a positive spin on it, is that it is an opportunity. However, we have to use that opportunity well and not just present these caricatures, straw man versions, ridiculous arguments. No, you have to come in with an intent as a listener to understand the other side. And once the other side feels heard, now you can present your arguments in a thoughtful, compelling way. It's 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 so well said and and thank you for that data. I'm I'm pretty blown away myself, honestly. Like 37 to 40 percent of people who have changed their opinion based on having, I mean, what you're talking about there is how the listening, obviously, feeling heard, feeling seen, but also there's a critical thinking element to this right? It's one thing we talk a lot about empathy these days. And I actually have a client at the moment, and we've been talking about what the future children and future generations are going to require for an exponentially changing world. And I, I posted an article that some research Ms. Mattel had done recently about empathy. Parents everywhere feel like empathy is something really important, like true diversity and inclusion. And a friend of mine wrote me back and he said, and critical thinking, because we have become so complacent in the way we receive information that in fact, we don't have that critical lens to ask is, is this true? Is this right? And as you said, we get stuck in our own ways and we think we're right, we know. Where in fact, what you're saying is if you can be presented with data, substance, information, and arguments that may not align to your point of view, but are done in such a way that you can receive them critically. All of a sudden, you, as you say, controversy becomes more dialogue. It's such a good point. I'm so glad you made it. Because I think that's absolutely right. Critical thinking, you'll hear educators say it is the number one most important educational skill you can get from K-12. Right. And if you ask employers, and this has been done in many different surveys and studies, 
number one skill that we need for a vibrant future economy is the skill of critical thinking. We don't know what the jobs of tomorrow will breed. We don't know what the challenges and problems uh, of the future will be. We just need to be able to adapt, adjust, and and lean in with American ingenuity and and uh, and use our levers of capitalism to sort of advance good, those good causes. So it's something essential, and yet where is it being taught, right? And not only is it I'll tell you the good news, it is being taught now by the National Math and Science Initiative, National Council for Teachers of English, and the National Council for the Social Studies. All three of these major, major educational bodies have put critical thinking at a core of their, uh, of their efforts, as has the Common Core uh, curricula. Yep. So that's the good news. It's kind of like cavalry's coming over the hill. There's an effort to, to teach critical thinking. But what do we do? I mean, it's awfully hard to instill this notion of where did that fact come from? Who said it? How do I know that I should believe them? Is this a legitimate source of information? What are the other, what are other perspectives on the same issue? And the way that I broadly see this is in our country, we have two massive factors at work. I'll just broadly call them centripetal and centrifugal forces. So centripetal forces are the things that bring us together. And the things that bring us together are diminishing. We don't have as many things bringing us together. For instance, we used to have three major news channels decades ago, right? ABC, CBS, NBC. Absolutely. Now, instead of three, we have 3,000 plus, right? Uh, so we don't have the, that single source of, of news bringing us together. We don't, we don't see a union participation exceptionally low, participation in religious life, going to church, con congregating with people who don't look or think like us, that's diminishing. Retail is diminishing. Movies, concerts, all these places for the public square are shrinking. The unifiers are shrinking. But to, that's bad enough. But worse, in my view, is the centrifugal, the things that are pulling us apart, those are accelerating on steroids. And when I'm thinking about what those factors are, I'm talking about social media, right? The ability for technology to trap us in our own echo chambers and, and filter bubbles. I'm talking about traditional news media, where increasingly their business models are to recruit partisans, right? They, they are catering more to their audience. I'm talking about things like gerrymandering, part, that's partisan redistricting that's happening in a state-by-state-by-state -state -by -state basis. I'm talking about things like just the congressional schedule, right? Just instead of politicians living in D.C. and having their spouses and children go to the same schools and interact, no, now they, they fly in, they're there for three days, boom, they're out, right? And then they, they, we've seen the increase of money and its influence in politics, right? So they're literally fundraising, literally, I'm not joking about this, 40 per 50% of the time. Completely. In, I, I actually heard Olympia Snow speak about this, um, uh, you know, the former senator from Maine speak about it a couple years ago. And I always, you know, I won't get into my, my, my feelings, but she talked about this very thing actually as as concerned Congress a lot. She said, yeah. we used to socialize. We used to go to cocktail parties together. Our kids used to go to the same schools. So we were together. And now there's no reaching across the aisle because we don't know each other, right? And 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 it just validates, not that your point needed validating, but it, it really resonated with me at the time and, and, and you're reinforcing it again. And it's gotten even worse in the say, let's yes. say six or seven years since I had that, you know, heard from her uh, live. Uh, absolutely right. And, and the, the trend lines are going that way, right? So the unifiers are going away. The things that drive us apart are increasing. And we're, we're doing it too, right? It's, it's the forces that are being imposed on us structurally, but also, look, if you move to a new town, we're going to find neighborhoods that kind of reflect our values. That's normal. We're going to move to a neighborhood that has 
pickup trucks with gun racks or are you going to move to a neighborhood with plug-in Priuses, right? So it's going to reflect our values and we're self-sorting ourselves because of that. So when I look at the centripetal centrifugal forces that are, you know, far outside of our control, I feel like it is harder than ever to be an informed citizen, an active participant in our democracy today, because the, the deck is stacked against us. We have to have extra effort, extra intentionality uh, in order to just be informed citizens. Uh, and so that is our burden, right? That is our burden. It's not our fault that it's this way. It's not. But that is the world that we live in. So what are we going to do about that? It's a choice, I right? I mean, we have to make some choices. And I think, you know, you mentioned about social media. And I want to touch on it for a second because social media is, while it gets the rap that it deserves of allowing us into our own echo chambers, right? It also has certain power of reach. I mean, you think about Clubhouse now in the Middle East and, you know, allowing disparate voices, of course, we'll see where that goes. I mean, we, we, we saw the same thing with Twitter and, you know, the, the Arab, the Arab spring years ago. And so we'll see, but I mean, I want to talk about a controversial topic since our topic is future of controversy. Yeah. I mean, Twitter banned, Jack Dorsey banned our former president, Donald Trump from Twitter in perpetuity. Facebook a couple of weeks ago took a decision that they're going to re-review, but they're going to keep him off for a moment at the same day, basically, that Donald J. Trump announced, you know, through this blog post, you know, his, his, I am still the commander in chief. I mean, and there's this media following, he has 85 or whatever million followers on making, maybe it's less than that. I mean, where does this lead us? I mean, this is highly controversial. I mean, between like these social media outlets trying to control facts right and 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 avoid violence and at the same time i mean our first amendment right to free speech is is tantamount to who we are as nation and to democracy so here's a great example of controversy let's what's your opinion yeah well i think you can think about it fundamentally in two different ways is the answer to bad speech to cancel bad speech or is the answer to bad speech more good speech right and so is it Buyer beware, it's up to us as the consumers of information to, to bear that burden and for us to figure out what's good, what's bad, we can decide for ourselves. Or does, is it necessary to have a filter? Maybe because the forces that we're being exposed to are just too toxic or that we don't have the capability to decipher good from bad, right? So it's that's the fundamental uh, issue at stake is whether we should be the deciders or whether there should be some type of filter. And as much as we feel personally connected to these social media platforms, it's my Twitter feed, it's my Facebook, my Instagram, my YouTube, it's not mine, right? It's some corporation that is profiting tremendously from the fact that I'm voluntarily putting all this information in their platform that they can resell and use and repurpose for whatever ends that they have. And so I think we we feel like it's ours, but it's it's not ours, right? And so the fact that a private company is making a decision, it's in its what it considers its bottom line interest, does not surprise me, shock me at all. Uh, it is a, a wake up call that, gosh, what are, what are we doing? What are, are we really sharing all this information? And I get the benefits of social media. Absolutely, I'm, I'm on all of them, right? I get it, uh, but it is a very much a buyer beware. So as much as I look at these, the big tech companies, you know, Apple, Google, Facebook, if you look at their profitability, they are the bulk of the profitability for all of the Fortune 500, right? The fact that these three companies are based in California, right? Huge part of our tax base in this state. Uh, they are massive, massive companies with global reach. 
uh, obviously. And if we want to push back against those forces and say, look, they have created these systems, these algorithms that are feeding us what we want, that are perpetuating things that are not true, that are causing uh, our elections to be questioned, that are causing the spread of disinformation, this bad news or incorrect news spreads multiple times faster than factually accurate news, right? It's more salacious, it's more titillating, it's more like, did you just see this? And they spread it. And it's and, not just And that's from what the we've right. become accustomed to, right? Sorry to right. cut you off, but I mean, it's it's a little bit of like straight into the vein. I mean, we have been trained when you had three networks going back to history, as you were saying, you know, you got news from the news. Now, you know, you want the memes and you want the salacious, dirty controversy. That is what is sold. I think that's it. I mean, when I think about it big picture, it's really is this, it's a depth of expertise. It used to be that the power was in the hands of the curators. It's the journalists who's went to school, studied, had experience, apprenticed. Now they're finally, they're able to present the news in this neutral way for us to consume. Now, anybody can present news, right? And the power is going more to people and it, their expertise does not matter as much as it used to. So it is democratized on the one hand, that's, that's a beautiful thing that anybody now has access to the same platforms. However, by losing the curators, we're losing the filters and we're losing the quality. And now we're ending up with tons of low quality information that make it really difficult for us as sophisticated of consumers as we might be, it is awfully hard to tell what's good and what's bad. So now of all the 21st century skills that we need, critical thinking, media literacy, right? These are things that we didn't think we needed before and now we desperately need them. Totally. It's, and it's interesting. And I want to move on to a, a more global perspective, but it's, you know, last week's guest was, um, was the president of my alma mater, Bates College, talking about the future of liberal arts education and, and critical thinking, I mean, among other things, is the thing that critical, you know, that, that social arts uh, and liberal arts um, have always taught. And it is, I think, probably more important to your point than ever, even in K-12 you know, because you're not, you're not necessarily getting it because it comes back to what you said, the choice to listen and engage and question is each of ours now as there's just so much, you know, the floodgates of information have opened and of opinions, right? Yeah. Not necessarily presented as such. For, from a controversy perspective, um, I, I think about, you know, this, I feel, I feel like it's a controversial thing even to talk about on Future of XYZ, so it's perfect for you. But I think about, you know, more and more, in my opinion, individual businesses, corporations are acting like citizens. I mean, and, and as far as po political donations in the US, they were given that right by the Supreme Court in 2010. That said, right, the corporations acting like citizens is one thing, but governments seem to be acting more and more like businesses, right? And in this, there is a real question in my mind of how we hold human rights offenders accountable. And I think China is in the obvious example, but of course we have Myanmar right now. We have, you know, whether you're talking about Hong Kong or the Uyghurs in China, among other things, whether you're talking about what's happening in Burkina Faso. I mean, there are, I mean, all over Latin America. I mean, you have so many issues that are human rights offenses, really. And yet, how do we hold these governments and the perpetrators accountable when in fact governments are now kind of working hand in hand with corporations who 
in a globalized economy, you're not, I don't even know how to formulate the question. It's so controversial to me that no one can get involved. And yet it's because it's so controversial for them to get involved. Yeah, I, I, I understand the, the point that you're making. And I think it's, it's such a tricky topic, right? The, on the one hand, there are things like, you know, facial recognition software that can identify people's ethnicity and flag them to authorities so that they can be targets for prosecution. And we're seeing deep fake videos. And we're seeing that, that nations are acting as state agents in the spread of misinformation uh, to interfere in other states' elections, right? So it's counterintelligence, but that has met this, uh, this, the steroids of our technological platforms, right? So we have, we've seen the rise of cyber warfare. We've seen that people being able to, through malicious viruses, cripple uh, critical infrastructure, right? Uh, so, you know, how can we disrupt the electric grid and disrupt water supplies? You know, the major things that are happening that to globally affect human rights just by a handful of malicious actors. Uh, and th I think, Part of the solution to this comes to two things. So one, the nations have not been good about addressing some of these systemic problems, right? A lot of nations kind of, they, they gloss over it. The nature of our elections are very cyclical. So things, one, one elected official might change it this way, the next one changes it back and things kind of go in cycles. And so it's really deep systemic problems. They take a while, right? Decades and decades uh, to where finally we have developed enough progress to kind of see some of these issues in the back, uh, in the rearview mirror, but it takes an awfully long time. And that is just the nature, not just in the United States, but across, uh, the, across the globe. Yeah. So what can be done about it? The, one of the things that is being done about it is that measure of accountability is coming from uh, we the people, right? So these, the use of social media platforms has given people that kind of power, but we are new to this power. Right? We don't know how to topple a government, how to promote regime change, how to advocate for massive social change in a way that is responsible. We just know how to demand it. Right, So we've demanded on the platforms, we mobilize, we organize, we're out in the streets, we're, we're changing something, but then social media doesn't tell us now, this is how you build it. Right, right. This is how you bring other sides to the table. This is how you compromise. It doesn't teach us that at all. No. Uh, and so we're left with with kind of things in our wake. Uh, and, and that's the, the problem with taking away the expertise, if, but we see what the, the benefit is, right? So to address the human rights abuses, yes, hold the, the feet to the fire, yes, hold nations and, and, act, uh, and governments accountable. We can demand that as, as individuals, uh, we have to demand it of governments, we can demand it through uh, various uh, forms of economic process, including boycott, uh, and speak with our dollars, uh, speak with our feet. Those things are, are achievable, but we're talking about massive forces in the world. So a lot of times we'll look at these problems like we look at global climate change and say it is such a huge problem, like this problem of polarization and human rights, it's so vast that what can I do? I'm just, I'm one guy, you know, right. what am I going to do? Uh, and yet all of us recycle, right? It is the thing that we can do. And so we have some agency in being part of the solution. The equivalent to re of recycling for polarization is listening, right? And, and that means listening, not with the intent to rebut, but listening with the intent to understand. And that intent is, I can't emphasize enough, the intent to understand. And that means if somebody says something outrageous, we don't just want to rebut it, we want to understand 
why did they say that? Like, what are they thinking? How do they get to that conclusion? Why is this issue important to them? How was that viewpoint developed? And really understand it. And I think when you do that, then that person will feel heard. And then we can kind of get through that, the rhetoric, right? We get past that and we're like, okay, now we're connecting as humans. I get why you feel that way. However, and now here's my, here's my experience and here's how that's different. So we have to do that that kind of emotional recycling equivalent of, through the act of listening uh, and through forcefully exposing ourselves to opposing ideologies, right? And it's something where our, our technologies do not do. We have to actively go seek it out, use sites like Procon. There's plenty of other organizations out there that do that. We need a, those people in our social media feeds who we don't agree with, embrace those people, right? Because if you don't like their comments and add yourself to their comments, their voices will disappear from our feeds. And you might think, ah, oh, what a relief, <laughs> you know, that's better. But we're also cutting off our own education. We're cutting off the, our understanding of our society. And we don't want to do that. We want to be well-informed to at least understand how other people think. Uh, so I think that intentional exposure is so important uh, to do. The listening is so important to do. Uh, and I think slowing down our thinking so where we don't just react, pause, reflect, then respond. We'll have a very different response, even just by waiting seconds, right? It's, waiting. It's, it's the Daniel Conahan um, book, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow, right? That's it's exactly what I'm thinking about. Yes. We have we have to we have to we have to slow down enough so that we're not defaulting to our natural biases. Hundred percent. No. You know, and and I think another one is being generous in interpretation. That's hard to do. And I'll leave you with the last one. It's a concept I call superordination. And that doesn't necessarily mean we have to try to find common ground. It means that we recognize we already have common ground. And so, for instance, if you like the New York Yankees and I like the LA Dodgers, we'll say, hey, we both like baseball. But if you like baseball and I like football, we say, hey, we like sports. And if you like sports and I like politics, we're like, oh, hey, we like competition. It's, it's awesome. It's, it's the lowest common denominator turned on its head. It's basically saying lowest common denominator is actually a positive. It is actually the it's it's the what's the word the cure for controversy that's right yes we are all in the same in group whether we know it or not it's a matter of recognizing that uh, and that's what this exercise is all about we find out that a lot of these differences that we feel with other people these things that anger us around controversy at the end of our lives those things matter very little um, it doesn't matter if you disagree with me on china tariff policy who cares we get along, we'll have a beer, we'll a glass of wine, we'll have fun, we'll have a few laughs. That's what matters. Uh, and, and that's why I think these, these differences uh, become too, they become unnecessarily polarizing. Uh, and that's something that we can do if we listen with the intent to understand. Uh, Kami, I, 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 I mean, we're gonna take this offline because you know, you know I love speaking with you. And I think this is such a fascinating topic. And thank you for sharing your expertise on this topic. Um, on Future of XYZ this week. Uh, it's, it's really a pleasure and so much food for thought as well as actionable things we can do. And I, I, know, I know that I have work to do. <laughs> we all do and it's okay. We'll work on it together. I like that. Well, thank you for joining us on Future of XYZ. Um, and anyone who's listening, please obviously subscribe if you don't already on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and follow on Instagram to stay up to date. Uh, thank you again, Kami, for joining us on the Future of Controversy. My pleasure. Thanks, Lisa. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Future of XYZ. 
If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Grelnick on LinkedIn. Visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to the Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.